Is your prostate waking you up more often than your alarm clock? The fact is, the older you get, the more likely you'll have prostate problems, which can affect your everyday life. That's where Prostate Complete by Real Health comes in. Prostate Complete is the result of 20 years of experience as a leader in men's health. The powerful formula in Prostate Complete supports natural prostate function and reduced urinary urges for a better quality of life. Available at Walmart. Visit prostateoneperday.com for special offers. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. From our studio in San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen, this is Salt and Spine. The earliest cookbooks that kind of dropped me to mixology were terrible. They were really? they were awful 1970s disco bibles. They were uh-huh. so bad. Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, Stories Behind Cookbooks, and welcome to the final day in our drinks week, where we've been sitting down all week with leading cocktail and wine authors. You just heard from today's guest, Kara Newman. Now, Kara is the spirits editor for Wine Enthusiast Magazine, but she's also the author of several books, including Nightcap, More Than 40 Cocktails to Close Out Any Evening, and Road Soda, Recipes and Techniques for Making Great Drinks Anywhere. She's here to talk about her latest cookbook, Cocktails with a Twist. In today's show, we'll talk with Kara about how she got into writing about food and drinks to begin with, how she approaches cocktails, and of course, we're going to play a little game at the end of the show. All of that today on Salt and Spine. So let's head now to our studio inside the Civic Kitchen Cooking School in San Francisco, where Kara Newman joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Kara. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks so much for joining us on Salt and Spine. My pleasure. We're glad to have you. And we're here to talk about your latest cookbook, Cocktails with a Twist. But I want to start actually before we get to this book specifically by talking a little bit about you and your career and how you got to writing. I think I read that when you were in college, you weren't really totally sure what you wanted to do career wise and um, sort of had this emerging interest in writing and journalism that emerged in college. Is that right? Well, in college, I was an English major, so useful for very little and uh, (laughs) went to a school that didn't even have a journalism program and uh, graduated, went on to New York University where they did have a journalism program. And uh, from there, I went on to cover financial services topics. So I'm a career journalist. And I had no idea that I would ever want to cover any kind of food, drinks, cooking, kind of in retrospect, wish I did. Wish you realized earlier. I wish I'd realized earlier, maybe I could have gone to culinary school. Maybe I would have taken time to be a, a bartender. Okay. But uh, instead, I kind of dove into finance. And that was that was great for a while. Um, and then somewhere along the line, I just developed an interest in food and in wine, which is what brought me to, to Wine Enthusiast. And right around that time, the entire cocktail renaissance was really just exploding. Uh-huh. And there was so much going on and new uh, distilleries opening and new products. And it was just this this brave new world. There was so much to cover. So you're writing about financial stuff for a while. Um, I was. You're, you're a financial journalist. How did that interest in food sort of come about? The intro was history. Okay. I uh, Yeah, I was involved with a group called the Culinary Historians of New York. Okay. And I just had developed an interest in old cookbooks. I think I was collecting old cookbooks. It was really just a hobby. You know, I was interested in, in, in cooking and reading about, you know, people through history who were doing notable things in, in food. And it just kind of blossomed into this obsession. 
That's the best way to describe it. Sure. Yeah. An obsession with cookbooks, with the history of food and cooking, all, all of, of it. The above. All of the above. All of the above. Uh-huh. And like a lot of people, if I'm obsessed with something, I can't help but write about it. You sure. Know? And that's just how I express things and how I process things. And so I just started writing a little bit here and there just for fun. I was involved in, in Eagle at the late great message board. So long ago, it seems. And it just slowly but surely took over my life, you know, brick by brick. And uh, my first regular writing job was for Chili Pepper Magazine. Okay. Which is a real magazine, and uh-huh. it's still around. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're interested in things like salsa competitions and uh, barbecue smackdowns, that is the magazine for you. And it's a print magazine? It is. That's it awesome. Is. And uh, I was writing for them for a while, and, and one day my editor just said to me, we need a cocktail column. Would you like to write it? And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. I have no clue. Not a clue. Right. (laughs) But I was like, you're offering me a column? Uh, Yes, thank you. And uh, that was a cocktail about, I'm sorry, a column about spicy drinks. Interesting. And yeah, it it was interesting, actually. And I used to write about things like um, which bourbons to pair with chili and uh, how to infuse vodka and tequila with various um, chili peppers. And that... It eventually turned that that column eventually turned into my first book called Spice and Ice. So you're sort of starting to write about food. You're working at Chili Pepper Magazine, and then that's all of a sudden, like overnight, you're a cocktail journalist. Essentially, isn't that crazy? <laughs> that's kind of crazy. Yeah. And how did you approach that sort of new assignment in your life? Then, how much were you sort of relying on turning to bartenders or distillers for information versus like experimenting in your own kitchen with different liqueurs and things or liquors? I mean, to be clear, I was clueless, okay. really clueless. Okay. <laughs> I will admit that freely. And as any good journalist does, I got to ask a lot of really smart people, a lot of really stupid questions <laughs> yeah. and yeah, bartenders, distillers. Yeah. I, I remember trying to workshop some recipes and they were so bad. Oh, they were so bad. Yeah. And I wound up going to um, a, a couple of bartenders that I knew and, and just said, what's wrong? What am I doing wrong? And uh, they just very kindly walked me through the different building blocks of, of making a cocktail that it's not just throwing things into a glass and hoping it sticks, but it's it's a recipe like anything else. And they, sure. they talked to me about the the play of, of sour and, and sweet and strong versus, you know, spirituous versus not spirituous, you know, juices and, and mixers versus liquor. Yeah. And how it all kind of melds together into, you know, into an actual recipe. Right. It was, it was a good education. Yeah. That's so interesting. And so that's always sort of been how you've learned about cocktails from that point forward then is turning to people like bartenders or distillers. Asking stupid questions of very smart people. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is my MO. I love that approach. <laughs> <laughs> it's all I have. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So your latest book is Cocktails with a Twist. Um, and this is a super fun book. It's, it's 21 classic recipes. And then each of those sort of open, how would you describe the way that you physically interact with this book? They each sort of open into these variants of, of different it's recipes. It's called a, a gatefold. A gatefold. That's yeah, the, that's the, the fancy publishing, publishing term. term. Okay, yeah. Interesting. Wh- which basically means the pages are sort of, if you've got a two page spread for Obviously, we're sort of describing this to someone without being able to show it to them. You've got a two-page spread, and each page is sort of folded over onto itself. And you can and it open. opens up like a butterfly. Exactly. I love that. Uh, <laughs> opens up like a butterfly, and you're presented with variants on that classic cocktail. Exactly. It's a little more than just variants on the classic cocktail. I mean, uh-huh. my, my approach with this was it's not just cocktails 101. And people right now are very sophisticated about drinks. Everybody right. knows 
what a, a margarita is right. and they know if they like one or not. So my approach with this was, okay, so if you like a margarita, here are eight, nine, 10 drinks that are like a margarita, kind of have some DNA, but are not a margarita. Sure. So, so, I mean, you're not opening up the margarita section and, like, having a strawberry margarita. Most likely not. There right. there might be one or two here or there that are just more straightforward riffs. But, uh-huh. for example, I'm trying to stair-step someone from a margarita to, say, a Paloma, which is also a, a tequila drink. Right. Um, and it also has um, that citrus sour component. But it's it's a bit different. Or maybe you, you like a margarita and we kind of want to stair-step you to um, maybe a mezcal variant. Uh-huh. So so again, it's an agave spirit, but it's a little smokier. So, you know, just kind of stair-stepping people a little bit out of their comfort zone, but not, not too far, you know, let people experiment and, and learn, but you know what you like. Right. It's not too unfamiliar. And that's such an interesting approach because I think when it comes to cocktails for a lot of people, they do sort of know what they like, but don't know how to do that sort of, as you say, stair-stepping to a different cocktail that might also be, you know, a newfound love. And I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. I am borrowing heavily from, from bartenders in, in terms of the entire concept because there's something called, um, dealer's choice. Uh-huh. I'm sure yeah. you've heard it's a bartender's choice. Sure. And the concept is you go into a bar and, he says, what'll you have? Or she says, what'll you have? And the, the guest responds, well, I usually like a margarita. I, maybe I'd like to try something different. And the bartender then will kind of talk you through and say, well, do you like something, do you like something strong? What uh-huh. kind of flavors do you, do you like? Um, what do you usually drink? And then they'll create something on the, the fly or right. they'll, they'll pull something out of their, their mental Rolodex and, right. and present it to you. And, yeah. and it's, it's similar. And then you have something that's perhaps, a little unfamiliar, but still within your comfort zone. Sure. And are you envisioning that home home cooks, home mixologists are sort of your main target for this book? Yes. 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 And you, you've written a number of books. We can talk about more of them. But one of uh, the ones you wrote is called Shake, Stir, Sip. And the concept behind that is they're all equal parts cocktails, correct? Right. And I love that both of these books sort of take unique approaches in many of your books to sort of making cocktails feel accessible to home mixologists, to someone who might want to mix a drink at home. I think that's a big thing for a lot of people who are sort of just getting into cocktails is they feel intimidating and it feels sort of like, where do I even begin? How do you sort of take that mindset and apply it to your books? I do think my, my, my personal brand is definitely accessible. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's that's yeah. been pointed out to me many times. Um, my, my MO usually is I, I think of it as, as translating a lot of the times uh-huh. because, um, as much as I adore the, the bartending community and the, the distilling community, it's a community of, of hardcore geeks. I say that with love. I say that sure. with affection. Yeah. But they often don't know how deeply they are in their, their own heads and they have their, their buzzwords and they don't realize sometimes that not everybody knows all the different variants on, on whiskey that, you know, Irish whiskey and bourbon and rye whiskey right. are, are not all the, the same thing. Right. And that there's still another 10 after that I could just kind of reel off. So I'm trying to, I'm, when I'm writing articles or writing books, I'm, I'm always putting that in the back of my head. I'm trying to translate it for, for someone who's at home. And I kind of have a, I have a reader in, in, in mind. And, um, I'm trying to help them get to, to that point where they can understand what the concept is and make it themselves and perhaps even go the, the next level and, and riff on their own. Yeah. And feel comfortable doing it. 
When you say you have a reader in mind, what does that mean? Are there like qualities you're thinking about of the person you're writing for? What sort of comes to mind for you when you think this is my reader? I literally have a specific you do person. So oh, sometimes, really? okay. <laughs> for I wrote a, a, a book on um, on entertaining on big batch cocktails, uh-huh. and I literally had a specific couple in mind, uh, friends who live in, in Madison, Wisconsin, okay. and who have a beautiful backyard and they entertain all the time. And I was sort of writing that book sort of not, not to them exactly, but to them, let's say to them. Right. Sure. They, they were who I had in mind. And I think for, for cocktails with a twist, I also have a, a reader in mind. I have someone who's younger, someone who goes out to bars sometimes likes to make drinks at home i mean uh-huh. i can kind of see them in my head it's it's a woman because i am you know there's someone who's who wants to make drinks for she wants to make a drink for herself and maybe a friend or two right. uh, maybe a significant other and i'm 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 trying to be the the friend at the bar next to her, maybe coaching her through, you know, saying this is, this is what it is. I mean, uh, a daiquiri is just, you know, it's, it's rum and lime and sugar. And it's not that different from a margarita, which is just, you know, spirit. And instead of lime, it's lemon and it's, it's sugar also. It's, it's, you know, uh, agave. And you see, it's not so, so different. You see, it's not so right. hard. Right. And, and that's what I'm, I'm trying to be that, that friendly voice in, in her ear. I love that you have these different readers that sort of come to mind for each of your different books. Is that really helpful for you in, in the process of creating the book? It seems like it is. It is for me. Yeah. It, it helps me get through writer's block too. Uh huh. You yeah. know, cause I, I can feel sometimes I actually talk it out loud if right. I can't process it otherwise. Right. Do you have a favorite cocktail? Is that a loaded question? Mm. <laughs> it depends on the season. Okay. That's fair. Because if it's warm out, I'll always gravitate towards a gin cocktail. Uh-huh. And right now I'm in the middle of this martini obsession. Okay. I don't know. I kind of have blinders on for a 50-50 martini with a lemon twist. No olives. No olives? No olives. Never? I need to really be in the mood for olives. Okay. And I'm almost never in the mood for olives. Okay. I'm the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> it takes all types. <laughs> yes. This is true. <laughs> we can still be friends. It's okay. okay great. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's cold out, it's going to be something with bourbon, most likely. Yeah. Um, probably something straight up um, or over like a cube of ice, probably with some Amaro in it. Something like really, the thing that warms as it goes down. Right. Right. So you mentioned that your, your reader of sorts for this, <laughs> for this cocktails with a twist book is maybe a younger person. And I'm curious, you've written a number of cocktail books over the years. And I think I've seen that you've, you've written a little bit too about millennials drinking less, sort of going out to bars less, sort of the, the cocktail culture being less, um, important to young people today, if that's the right way to phrase that. Is that something you've seen or how sort of have you seen the role of cocktails in our society and in our daily life evolve over your career as a, as a cocktail writer. Let's see. I'm, I'm guessing that the article you're referring to, I did, um, an opinion piece for, for wine enthusiast about, um, about my, my personal thoughts that wellness is not the right tool for selling cocktails. Yes. That's actually something I feel very strongly about. It's called stop trying to make healthy cocktails happen. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. That is the piece I, I'm talking about, yeah. Someone actually pitched me today something about wellness month, and I just replied, no, yeah. no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And just sent them the link, here's why. No. Yeah, right. And tell us why. Why is it? What, what's your... Because that's not the, the role of, of cocktails. I mean, they're, uh-huh. they're this wonderful moment of, of decadence. I do believe in moderation, absolutely. Right. 
But I think using wellness as a tool to to sell to millennials primarily. I mean, right. right now there seems to be this relentless drumbeat around wellness and it's almost considered like a, a synonym for, for health, for, for losing weight, for, you know, a, a healthy lifestyle. And, um, I believe that cocktails can be well made and they can be made not with garbage, but mm-hmm. I don't think that they're a wellness tool or health tool now or, or ever. And, right. um, as I said in the article, I do believe that there are a lot of people who are attempting to to drink less and some people who are actively going sober. And I totally support yeah. that. You know, if someone wants to chooses not to drink for whatever reason, totally want to be supportive of that. But I believe very strongly that um, that it's a, a mistake to market cocktails, spirits as a, a wellness tool just in, in the pursuit of, of sales. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, right now it does seem to be primary, uh, just to actually answer the question you asked, <laughs> I do see millennials um, as the primary demographic for, for the wellness trend right now. They do seem to be the ones who are, uh, not the only ones, but the, the ones who are primarily embracing this this wellness trend and, you know, good, good for them. Go for it. I I suppose they're drinking less when I go out to bars. They're, they're still there. They're not right. not drinking. right. But uh, maybe there's more more moderation. And I did go to um, a non-alcoholic bar. Okay. And that was that was entertaining too. Yeah. Where is that in New York? In Brooklyn. Okay. It's called Getaway. Okay. And they just they make they're like mixing drinks. Anything alcohol. but alcohol. No alcohol. They, uh-huh. I I don't think they even have it in in the bar. Yeah. We'll be right back with the second half of our conversation with Kara Newman, author of Cocktails with a Twist. Every Tuesday on Salt and Spine, we love sitting down with another of your and my favorite cookbook authors to tell the stories behind cookbooks. From Jacques Pepin and Nigella Lawson to Samin Nostrat and Allison Roman to today's guest, Karen Newman, Salt and Spine is the leading podcast featuring in-person interviews with your favorite authors. Plus, we publish delicious and exclusive recipes, hold cookbook giveaways for listeners like you, host incredible live shows, and so much more. Salt and Spine truly brings cookbooks to life, and we can only do it thanks to listeners like you. You can join the Salt and Spine community today to support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content starting at just $2 a month. Find out more and join the Salt and Spine community at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash salt and spine. Salt and Spine is proud to have storytelling partners like Edible San Francisco. In the upcoming issue, hear from three women, Lenora Estrada of Three Babes Bake Shop, Janelle St. Jean of Pietisserie, and Elizabeth Simon of Revenge Pies, on how they're speaking out on behalf of women in minority-owned businesses, building up their operations, and paying it forward to their communities. Subscribe now to ensure you don't miss compelling stories of how San Francisco eats at ediblesanfrancisco.com. And now, back to our conversation with Kara Newman, author of cocktails with a twist. So what trends are you seeing lately in the the cocktail space? Let's see. I'm I'm hesitating because I'm processing so much. I just came from a big conference called Tales of the Cocktail. Yes. And uh in New Orleans. In New Orleans. Great cocktail city. Oh, lo- love it there. <laughs> yes. And prior to that a, a couple of other conferences as well, so it's all kind of still swirling around in in my brain. Um definitely seeing um I mean, I am seeing more products coming out that are kind of trying to target that non-alcoholic segment. I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about that. Yeah. And if there's ever a competitor to Campari, I did see a red 
bitter that I liked rather a lot. That's a non-alcoholic Campari oh, killer. Okay. Sorry, sorry, Campari. And if that actually makes it to the U.S. market, I think it's going to be like a, a game changer. Wow. Okay. Can you tell us what it's called? I could if I yet? remembered. Okay. Uh, got it. It was, it was an Italian producer. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I remember I, I just Instagrammed a, a, a photo of it in front of Campari's booth at uh, Bar Convent Brooklyn, just okay. sort of troll them a little bit. Okay. Just for fun. Um, so we'll, we'll send listeners to your Instagram <laughs> if, if, if they're really interested. Yeah. <laughs> it's there somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, also it's, I think it's a lot of the, the same things we've been seeing for a while. I mean, I think a lot more low alcohol uh-huh. uh, products, more aperitivos. I think the aperitivo culture is really going strong. Um, usually aperitivo, aperitif, it's, it's Italian and, and French. And I, um, really got a very interesting earful about Spanish aperitivo culture. Okay. And there are just so many new, uh, Spanish vermouths. I'm, I'm kind of excited about exploring that. Yeah. Interesting. You mentioned that early on you were part of this culinary historians group of New York, um, and that you started acquiring cookbooks. So mm-hmm. we're obviously a show on cookbooks. So I'm wondering, were there like cookbooks that were really instrumental to you in your career or books about mixology that you've really turned to either for inspiration or that just have sort of been, um, Bibles for you? I have a, a couple of, of thoughts on that. The, okay. The, I mean, the earliest, cookbooks that kind of draw me to um to mixology were terrible they were really? they were awful 1970s disco bibles they were uh-huh. so bad they were colorful and and right. i remember one pamphlet in particular um recommended mixing seven up with everything and then it, i didn't realize <laughs> until the end oh it's, it's sponsored by seven up <laughs> makes sense yeah and it's it's so colorful and groovy and i, I love it and as a collector right. it's so much fun sure but it is not at all instrumental for uh for learning how to how to make drinks uh-huh but I think some of the earliest books that I collected, um, I kind of have a soft spot for MFK Fisher and yeah. I have a, and they're not the cookbooks per se, but right. they're, you know, cooking essays adjacent. Mm-hmm. And I had, I have, um, a cordial water and I, I do, I do love that. Yeah. Yeah. So were these cocktail books that you're talking about, they were, the recipes were not good. Gleefully awful. Gleefully awful. Not just the, the design. <laughs> oh, they, they were just aggressively bad. Wow. I mean, talk about dark ages. The seventies were definitely dark ages for, for cocktail culture. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I have another one. This one actually was given to me recently. Um, it's also a pamphlet for Southern Comfort. Okay. And it recommends mixing Southern Comfort in places where Southern Comfort, which is a, a sweetened, uh, whiskey, uh, uh-huh product uh, where it really does not belong i right. mean you want to talk margaritas again you want a margarita with southern comfort no <laughs> no you don't no wow, you don't that's an actual recommendation <laughs> that's I mean, wild <laughs> you just recoiled when i said that and that I was did. the right response i mean i was sort of already recoiling when you said southern comfort so i was just thinking about like my college days of like um what was it um not captain morgan there's another one in southern comfort that just like oh i bet it's malibu well, Malibu too. It's just oh, like yeah. all of those college parties. I just had a little <laughs> flashback when you said that. <laughs> there's yeah, always nah, one, isn't there? There's always one. Yeah. Well, we always end with a little game. So I thought we would take some inspiration from cocktails with a twist and play a little game using your concept of sort of stair stepping oh, to boy. other cocktails. Um, but we're going to throw in some wild cards. So we have these cards next to you. These are our little secret ingredient cards. So I thought we'd play a couple rounds where I give you a classic cocktail and then you draw 
one or more of these cards, depending on how adventurous you want to be, and see if you can create us a cocktail using that ingredient that sort of stair steps from that initial cocktail. Okay. How's the sound? All right. <laughs> and I will warn you that the blue cards are by far the most challenging. Should I point out, I mean, because people can't see this, that these right. cards are labeled protein, flavor, and vegetable? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, All right. Protein, I think, would be pretty hard for this this game, too. Maybe that's like a liquor, like a spirit. You know what? I should probably turn over the cards before I start interpreting them. Yeah. And and um, I'll give you some, some flexibility, too. We're going to start with Bloody Mary. So I could think of some proteins that could go with the Bloody Mary. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so you can pick however many cards, maybe maybe one, maybe two, um, and see if you can give us a cocktail that builds on stair steps from a Bloody Mary. Okay. So I'm, am I supposed to turn these over? You may turn them over. Okay. Yes. So I've selected protein just because I like to live dangerously. Uh-huh. And it says chicken. Oh my Lord. Chicken. Okay. <laughs> and the secret ingredient is Wagyu beef. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was going to be a challenging game. <laughs> okay. And we're starting with, with the Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary okay. Yeah. So typically a Bloody Mary is, uh, tomato juice. Usually it's, uh, vodka and, and, uh, Sometimes there's a lemon squeezed in there. There's spices. Uh-huh. Okay. I've got chicken. I'm going to go with pechuga mezcal. That's okay. a mezcal that is made with chicken breast. Wow. Pechuga okay. literally means means breast in Spanish. So, okay. So, we're going to... And how does one make a mezcal with chicken breast? They it's, <laughs> it's It's a harvest tradition. It's actually an old school technique. Uh, the the chicken or, or other protein or uh-huh. sometimes... Uh, harvest fruits vegetables they're hung in the still okay and then uh the spirit is distilled and eventually it just disintegrates away and it's infused into the into the spirit and sometimes there's another process to smooth it out a bit and it's so good fascinating it's like savory and unique and there's so many different kinds wow uh, yeah. Okay. And it's not always chicken either. I was sent a little sample of a an iguana pechuga mezcal. Wow. And I, I feel so daring even just <laughs> having it in my possession. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and you tried it? I'm going to. I okay, haven't tried haven't that yet. one yet. Okay. okay. So we, we've got the... Okay. So we've got... Okay. So we have the, the chicken and then we have Wagyu beef. Okay. I'm trying to figure out how to work with this. So without getting too literal... I'm going to go one step further with the protein-on-protein combination. Okay. Okay, so now we have a pachuga mezcal that I am then going to... This is this is way out of the the spirit of of the book because this is okay. getting very bartender-y and, and chef-y. Got it. But we're going to go with the Wagyu beef fat-washed pachuga mezcal. Okay. So that means um, that it's combined with the spirit. Uh, usually there'll be uh, the... the the rendered fat from, let's say in this case, the Wagyu beef, um, it's combined. It's, it's often put in the, the freezer. Mm-hmm. It infuses. It's, you put in the freezer. The hardened fat is then skimmed off. Doesn't it sound delicious? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually very intrigued. <laughs> and, uh, and then it's, it's, it's strained for, for texture. And then you have this, uh, this spirit that contains this, you know, essence of whatever the, the fat is that's been, been washed and wow. does give it kind of like a luscious texture. Wow. Yeah. I'm not sure this would be altogether necessary. Okay. I think yes. this is, this is gilding the lily big time. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're stair stepping. We're going, we're changing this Bloody Mary. We are removing the vodka. We are adding the, the Wagyu beef 
fat washed pachuca mezcal <laughs> and uh definitely some lemon we're going to need a lot of citrus to to balance this maybe a uh-huh. good a good dash of instead of instead of uh worcestershire sauce or or tabasco let's go with something savory to complement the wagyu beef maybe like a maybe a miso something like okay. that yeah or uh-huh. soy sauce or something sure. along those lines and then Mm, just to gild the lily, because we all know that a Bloody Mary is all about the garnish. Uh huh. We're right. gonna have some some crazy wagyu beef and pickled vegetables on a spear to nibble. Yes, absolutely. And done. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that is that was so. A challenge. That's so impressive. <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm from the Midwest where we just like to put so many absurd garnishes on Bloody Marys, and oh, immediately I'm like, let's just put like fried chicken and like a beef stick on there. <gasps> oh man! <laughs> but I like what you did. That is so much more inventive. <laughs> um, let's do another round. Let's do a margarita. Oh boy! We're stair stepping okay. from a margarita, and I just select two. Let's do. Yeah, I think two is fun. Okay, so I will select. One vegetable and okay. one flavor. We're going with the margarita, we said? With the margarita, yes. Okay, so margarita is tequila. Uh, that's lime juice. There's a sweetener, uh, depending how you make your, your margarita. There's usually orange, uh, curacao, orange liqueur, agave nectar. Okay, and I have, oh my God, <laughs> kale and oregano? Oh, ooh, interesting combo. All right, um... I'm going to put back the kale because that's that's stumping me. Can I, can I draw yeah. another yes, yes. artichoke? Which is a, a there. There are a lot yes. of artichoke amaros. Yes, there are. So we have got chinar. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to make a, a chinar margarita. I can work with that. Okay, so we're sticking with the classic margarita. We're going to add a little dash of of, uh, of chinar to it. Maybe dial back one of the other sweeteners because chinar has some natural sweetness to it. Uh huh. Oh, I'm still stuck with the oregano. The oregano. Um, okay, we've got that in. Okay. Um, maybe I'll pick a secret ingredient instead. Oh, it's sriracha. Actually, that's really nice. Oh, yeah. With that a margaritas. Nice. I mean, remember, I'm coming from the land of Chili Pepper magazine. Right. And spice and <laughs> yes, this is your territory. Why can't I get this to go with the Bloody Mary? That, that, that would have been, been perfect. Yes, that's but true. You know what? I think that this might be a little too much i'm going to suggest that we stick with the the amaro spiked margarita and maybe the oregano just becomes a beautiful fluffy garnish okay. i don't know a little fresh oregano yeah i don't know i guess the maybe the lesson is just not to overdo it you know yeah. just sub out one ingredient and add one really really weird ingredient <laughs> and maybe <laughs> yeah. that's just enough yeah I like it. So, so <laughs> I can, I can sort of envision it. I'm not sure how the oregano is going to work, but there are good reasons we rely on bartenders for, for their <laughs> classic recipes. Cause otherwise you wind up with things like cauliflower margaritas right. and that's not always a good thing. Right. Should we do one more to redeem that, that one? <laughs> I'm a little scared, but okay. How, All right. How about I let you in on the, um, base cocktail, the classic cocktail? Okay. Do you want to do an Irish coffee, a martini, a mimosa? Let's go with a martini. Why not? Okay, let's do a martini. Martini. And maybe let's pick one so we can one card so we can sort of play with just one ingredient. Oh hell no! <laughs> no, not that one. No, I, I picked up liver. <laughs> no, we're putting that down. Uh, I shuffled these, and that's that's why. <laughs> that was cruel. Well, now I picked up watermelon, and that actually would be really nice. Watermelon mimosa. That sounds really nice. I think we went with the, the martini, but I think it'd oh, be nice we? in okay. both cases. Yeah, that's true. Okay. It could go either way. I mean, so that's a really versatile ingredient. Martini. 
I want to go with like a, a watermelon water, like, ah, yeah. You know, like something pureed and then strained as much as possible. Right. So there's not a lot of like pulpiness to it. It's just, you know, a bit of the, the freshness and a bit of the color, but without the, the texture. And maybe yeah. add that into a, a martini. Mm, so definitely gin. Uh huh. Gin martini, some, some of the watermelon water. I guess maybe a, a blanc vermouth, a slightly richer vermouth instead of a super dry. Sure. And maybe put that all together and, and, I'd kind of have to play with the proportions a bit, but I think just a little bit, a bit, just a little bit yeah. could be really quite nice. That sounds delicious. And I'm we bad. already know I'd add an olive. <laughs> <laughs> I think for this, um, I would definitely want to go, maybe even like a, I think a grapefruit twist might be kind of oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. That sounds delicious. Watermelon martini, grapefruit twist, hold the olive. It sounds a hell of a lot better than a liver martini. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yes, it does. That was a frightening thing to pick up. It absolutely does. Oh. Well, this was so great. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us, Kara. My pleasure. <laughs> And that's our show for today, the last one in our first ever drinks week. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content and recipes from all of our episodes on saltandspine.com. There you'll find two recipes from Cocktails with a Twist, the Classic Martini and the Alaska. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. And of course, you can join the Salt and Spine community and support our show at patreon.com backslash saltandspine. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart. Our kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney, and our original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen offers hands-on classes and events for home cooks. You can find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonimo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Edible San Francisco, and to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, I'm Kim Holderness. And I'm Ben Holderness. We host the Holderness Family Podcast every Tuesday. You may know us from the silly videos that we make online. Or a book about marriage called Everybody Fights. Or as winners of season 33 of The Amazing Race. Still can't believe that happened. Listen, we do a lot of stuff, but our podcast is our most favorite thing. Yeah, because every week we get to sit down face-to-face, talk to each other about marriage, family, mental health, or just anything that we want to know more about. Sometimes we have expert interviews, sometimes it's just us, but our goal is to bring some joy and laughter into your life every week. Our other goal is that maybe you will learn something as well. Right. So search the Holderness Family Podcast and check out our most recent episodes. We have one about staying organized with creators of the Home Edit. And one about being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. We hope you'll join us. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com